This is the Homeowner Show. Whether you're DIY or looking to hire, we're here to bring you the best information and tips for you and your home. My name is Craig Williams, and I'm not used to doing the intro because Kevin is playing hooky. He's not here today. He wandered on up north to go attend a Rangers game. Uh, so let me just take this opportunity to go ahead and, and let it be said for once and for all, for Kevin's sake, Nolan Ryan is overrated as a pitcher. It's yeah. He had that one moment where he punched the guy out on the mound and, and that's really what got him his fame, but he just, he's really good at making hamburgers. I mean, that's pretty much what he's good at. So sorry, Kev, you're a, your team's not as good as the Astros, but I hope you have fun in Dallas and that you come back a, a better host for the homeowner show because of it. But anyway, we, we are really glad that you guys could join us today. We have an awesome episode. This is actually an episode I've really been excited about for a long time. Uh, so, but before we bring our guest in, let me go ahead and ask you to hit the subscribe button there in Apple iTunes or Apple podcast in Google play stitcher, whatever it is that you're using. Don't use what Kevin's using. It's like some weird non GMO podcast. I don't know. It's a weird app. Don't use it. It's bad, but Wherever you can listen to the homeowner show, listen to it, hit the subscribe button, send us a like, hit that notification bell on YouTube, all the things to follow whatever is going on with the homeowner show so that you can stay up to date with what is happening here and the content that we are bringing you to make you the best homeowner possible. But today we have my friend Alan Stroud in the studio to talk about estate planning. Uh, now, this is this is something uh, that I I just truly believe is really important for every homeowner to grasp and understand. Uh, and having have to go through probate twice now uh, in in our family. Let me let me just tell you how important it is to have someone like Alan on your team. Uh, it's just so crucial. How are you doing, Alan? Doing well, thank you. And thank you so much for for coming in and and sharing your your legal wisdom with us. Well, I appreciate you having me. <laughs> yeah, no. This, this is this is going to be a good conversation, I think. So, I mean, just just to get things going, give everybody an idea. What, what's your background? Where do you come from? How did you get into this this field? What, what's your story? Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, before I went to law school, I was working as a CPA. Okay, and I decided that's not the career path I wanted to do. So I looked around and went to law school. So you'd, you'd already had started like a pretty serious career. I did. I yeah. did. I worked, I, I didn't work in public accounting. I worked in industry. Okay. Worked, worked for the phone company, in fact. Okay. Um, as an accountant in, in one of the subdivisions of the company. Right. And in various phases of accounting and in, in there. So, but you, you, you're still technically a CPA. I am. I got, I passed the CPA exam, got the work experience, got licensed, am a CPA. Yeah. We joke and say CPA stands for can't pass again. <laughs> so I didn't want to give it up. It's one of those things. You earn it. You want to keep it. I don't practice accounting, mm -hmm. but I am still a CPA. So, someone once told me that it stood for can't protect assets. <laughs> <laughs> that might be true that too. Is, <laughs> not, not for you. There you but, go. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, so I uh, went to law school, went Went back home. I, I was living in Dallas, working 
as an accountant, as a CPA. Moved back home to Tulsa, went to University of Tulsa Law School. Okay. And then because of my accounting and tax background, tax law really made a lot of sense for me. Yeah. I worked for a couple of firms while I was in law school that did estate planning and tax work and really liked it and went on and did a master's in tax law. Oh my goodness. NYU, which is a year long degree after law school. Good grief. And yeah, if if that wasn't enough, (laughs) glutton for punishment had to do another year. If I could have figured out how to make a living being a professional student, I probably would have. (laughs) You and me both, man. But got out of NYU, came back to the Dallas area, worked as a tax lawyer for about three years with a big Texas firm. Yeah. And then went to a smaller tax boutique firm and switched to estate planning. Okay. So I was kind of doing the income tax thing and then shortly switched to estate planning. But but one of the models there was they wanted the estate planning lawyers to understand income tax. Yeah. Which they really mesh together. You really got to kind of know it all. Absolutely. You're looking at all those things and know how they work. So I was going to say, like your your experience in, in in tax law has to be really valuable with estate planning because there's so much of what does. what goes on there has to do with taxes. That's right. It, it helps me talk to the CPA. It helps me work with a family and really give them the kind of advice up front. Yeah. To get them in a position to to make the best tax decisions. Yeah. Well, not to. M- I mean, you already speak the CPA lingo, so right. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, <laughs> right. You can already talk. Code yeah. sections, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you're not coming in as an adversary. It's 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 an it's a distant relative. Right. <laughs> right. So that was all in Dallas. I moved here uh, to Houston about seven years ago. Okay. Joined the firm I'm at. I'm a partner there now. Okay. Uh, it's a sta- It's really an estate planning and probate shop. We got four full time, two of counsel. All six of us attorneys are board certified estate planning and probate. Okay. And to be board certified, it's you got to have to a certain number of years in practice of that specialty area. A certain percentage of your practice has to be in that specialty area, and then you got to pass the test. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I want to I want to circle back around here in just a second as to like what all that entails. Uh, I'm I'm actually a little bit curious because I mean like, it sounds like you went to school in Oklahoma and New York. And am, am I missing one in nope. there? Nope, you're right. So it's Oklahoma, New York. My undergrad was actually at UTA. uh, Okay, so in Texas and then Oklahoma and then New York. Correct. So, but like, from what I understand, like, attorneys tend to practice in the states where they pass the bar. Exactly. And and so how... How was that experience going from state to state? I mean, because you're you're in Oklahoma, I imagine it's a little bit different there. Probably pretty close to what it's like in Texas. But I imagine New York being vastly different, I mean, to a certain degree. It's really funny. Uh, Oklahoma and New York were probably more similar. Okay. Because because Texas is a community property state. And and so what, I mean, for people that don't know, what, what does that mean? Community property, it, it's, it's, it's spouse's interest in property. Okay. How they own it, what their rights are. Okay. And upon divorce or death, how, how those rights are affected. Okay. So, so there's very few uh, community property states. It's definitely the minority. Most states are separate property states like Oklahoma and New York. Okay. And so in those states, whoever owns the asset, it's their asset. So okay. If the house is in husband's name, husband's house. Gotcha. And typically those states have alimony 
and those kind of things. So if you get divorced and everything's in husband's name, mm-hmm. he gets those assets, but then he turned around and has to pay alimony right. to, the, to the spouse. Well, Texas, community property state, doesn't matter whose name the asset's in. If you buy it during the marriage, it's presumed to be community property and each spouse owns an undivided 50% interest. Wow. So your wife's name's not on the house, it's still half hers. And if you get divorced, a judge has the right to divide the community property equitably. Ah. And so if if the judge So the, feels the court can actually seize that asset and, and give and, it all to the spouse he feels that he needs, or the judge, she could give it 50-50 to each okay. spouse. How whatever they feel is the equitable division of community property. And, and, now separate property Community property states do have separate property, uh-huh. which is like an inheritance or property you brought into the marriage. Okay. Now that is your separate property. You retain that; it's yours. Sure. You leave with it. So that would that would apply to things like a, in a prenuptial agreement or something like that. A, what a prenup does is it defines the terms of how we're going to treat assets if death things or divorce. go. Yeah, that's right. So you can say. Separate stays separate. You don't even need to say that. The law says that. But uh-huh. but the the main reason people do prenups is to to overturn what Texas laws are. For example, any income you earn while you're married is deemed to be community. Right. Well, you could enter a prenup and say, my earnings are mine, your earnings are yours. Right. Or income from separate property is community. So okay. a lot of people do prenups to turn that rule on its head and say income from separate is separate. Gotcha. So so that's really the reason people do prenups is to define those property rights and usually to change what the default law is. Interesting. So is there is there a big downside to the way that we operate in Texas as, as community property? Not really. They're just different rules. I don't know that one's better than the other. They, sure. they each have good and bad. Uh, for example... Texas typically doesn't have alimony. You don't hear yeah. about a lot of alimony because the court can divide the property. Well, and so in Texas, is typically if there's children involved, there's child support. There is child support. That's but, true. But That's alimony, different. Yeah. Yeah. Alim- Texas does have forms of alimony. They mm-hmm. have spousal support payments, but those usually will will be shorter term. Okay. Alimony may last years and years and years, mm. but spousal support is usually to help the spouse either get a degree or help them for a five-year period of time, yeah. something like that. It's, it's usually much more shorter term. Okay. So like what were, for the for the master's program up in New York, what was, I know you said that the degree was in, but what was that helping you kind of focus it, on? It was an intensive tax program. Okay. Every class was some kind of tax. Okay. Corporate tax, estate tax, foreign tax, whatever you can think of. It was all tax classes. So it's it's literally a master's of law in taxation. And NYU right now, and then as, as then, uh, is a top program in the country. Okay. Um, So that makes me, actually makes me curious about what what you think about um, certain taxes that apply at, at, you know, the, at the death of a a relative or things like that. So what, what are, what are some of the, I mean, I'm assuming you probably know some of these things since this is what you deal with. What what are, what are some of the tax advantages that, you know, homeowners and and families typically don't take advantage of that, that you know of, um, there with it in in regards to their estate and and things like that. Yeah. What, what I see a lot is people make mistakes Mm -hmm. 
if you wait until death to give someone an asset, right? So, so it passes at death, then typically they get what's called a step up in basis mm-hmm. in the in the tax basis of that asset. So let me give you an example. You buy a house, $100,000, you hold it for 10, 20, 30 years, and it's worth 200000 Right. So you've got a built-in gain mm-hmm. of $100,000. And and if your kids were to, in, to, to get that and sell it, then without other tax rules, that's a $100,000 gain they'd have to report. Right. But there's a provision in the tax code that says they get a step up in basis to fair market value at death. So their new tax basis is the fair market value of that asset at the date of death. Okay. So if they turn around and immediately sell it, no gain. So oh. they basically got a free $200,000. Okay. Now, what some people will do is they'll make gifts prior to death. And when you're doing that kind of gift planning, you really got to think about the asset because when you make a gift to someone, they they receive the asset with your transferred basis. Gotcha. So if you paid a hundred for it, that's their basis. They mm. turn around and sell it. They have a hundred thousand dollar gain. Mm. So, so one of the things you want to make sure when you're looking at assets and trying to figure out if you're trying to make gifts before you die, or if you want to you know, hold off and wait until you die. Sure. A lot of times it makes a lot of sense to actually wait and have that transfer because of death, because, because that's a powerful tool that yeah. Frankly, the, the government gives you yeah. erasing that built-in gain. And, and we might be getting into the weeds a little bit, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing the rules are different for the different asset classes. Well, they are. Um, it's the same rule for like stocks and bonds and things like that. But with IRAs, mm-hmm. 401ks, there's no step up in basis. At yeah. So there are certain assets that don't qualify for that. Sure. I mean, I, I, I'm even thinking like there's like physical assets like gold and silver and mm-hmm. precious metals. No, same and thing. thing. Like, same so, thing. Um, they, they would get a step up. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering how they would even know. Well, yeah, that, that. There, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, certain, not, I'm not advocating that people hide things from the government, no, but, but like. Certainly with assets like that, that is a risk and, and the government knows it is. Yeah. Um, Which is why it was illegal to even own gold until like. What was it like seventy four or yeah, something like there that? Was, there was yeah. a problem, yeah. When probably when Nixon took us off the gold standard. Right? <laughs> um, but but yeah, so that that can be a real problem. And I've had you know kind of jumping ahead a little bit. Sure. When we do probate, one of the things we ask for is, hey, give us a list of all the assets. Yeah. And you know you can only trust that your client is going to give <laughs> you a list you the full of picture. all the assets, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, because they may be thinking what you're thinking. Who's going to know? Yeah. Who's going to know if I move from the safe deposit box, I move that gold over, right? You know, you, you, you tell them, hey, it's, you know, penalty of perjury and you got to be honest. And, yeah. they, you know, that's how they got Al Capone cheating on his taxes, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. So, so you got to be honest and, and you hope they are, but you can't make them be. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly now, if I know they're not being, I'm not going to file something. I, well, yeah. I'm not going to help somebody commit a crime. <laughs> but, you know, if they just absolutely don't tell me, there's not a lot we can do about it. Yeah. Well, that that, that's actually, that actually raises something kind of interesting. I think about like sort of the the lawyer-client relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you do have the choice if, regardless of confidentiality, I mean, you can choose not to work with somebody. That's exactly right. Yeah. You don't. You don't have to work with someone. There is attorney-client privilege. Right. So, so once they tell you something, 
you know, you, you've got certain duties with that information. Right. But you, you can't help them commit a crime. Mm-hmm. But if it's past crimes, you know, you'll get in trouble. You might lose your license if you reveal something that you shouldn't reveal. Right. And so certainly, yeah, no, there is, uh, you know, not for that reason. But yeah, there's certainly clients that you walk away from sometimes yeah. you don't, you're not forced. There's no indentured servitude. Anymore. Well, no, I, I bring that up because I think a lot of people have the idea that I can tell my attorney anything. And then that person is going to continue to act in, in my interests. However, I direct them. Right. Whereas right. what you're, what you're telling me is like, you know, if I tell you like, look, here's my assets, but actually over here, I've, I've got this secret stash of assets that I don't want reported. Yep. Like you as the, as the attorney can go, Whoa, whoa, whoa! We're done. You're it, gonna have to find somebody yeah, else. I'm not. I'm not like gonna turn you in because we have that privilege. But we're also not working together anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's, I think that's important to know. It is. It I is. Mean, and you're right. It's a miss. <laughs> one of those things that people don't realize. Yeah. A misconception out there. So let's roll it back. Yeah. And go. What is estate planning from a legal perspective? Great question. Yeah. Great question. Because I get asked that all the time. <laughs> people think. I manage money. Well, that, no, that's, that's, I don't do financial planning. Right. Uh, estate planning is simply the process of helping someone arrange their assets mm-hmm. to protect them yeah. from creditors or divorcing spouses or whatever the case may be, and to put them in a position to pass them on mm-hmm. at their demise. Right. If they die, where do their assets go? So we want to make sure that we've got a plan in place that, sets everything as they want it to pass. And, and so from, from your perspective, what is an asset? An asset is anything literally that they own. Mm-hmm. It could be a business that they own. So it's the stock in the business. Right. If, if it's a corporation, if it's a D- DBA or, or a, just a sole proprietorship, it's every little single calculator and phone and everything that the business has. Right. Um, it's bank accounts, it's brokerage accounts, it's IRAs, 401ks, retirement plans, it's a vacation house, it's their homestead, it's a farm, it's the family ranch, mm-hmm. it's the couch and the TV, it's their jewelry, it's their <laughs> yeah. furniture, the cups and dishes in the cupboard. Yeah. Literally everything you own has to be administered at your death. Mm. Interesting. Now, do we detail everything like that in a will? No, of well, course no, not. That'd be pretty meticulous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but it covers everything. Yeah. And the will is intended to be very inclusive and very broad. Well, I was going to say, and you could probably speak broadly in order Absolutely. to like, all the contents of this particular home go to Susie. Yep. All the contents of this home go to Byron or whatever. Yep. Um, and, and those kinds of things. So would your person also be considered an asset? Typically, no. Typically, no. Okay. Now, intellectual property, mm-hmm. yes. Okay. So, like, in it, I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, how to put this, because, like, if you have wishes about your remains. Yes. Um, There's a form for that. Okay. Yeah. Is, is that considered? Ted, Ted Williams and his frozen brain? Right. Right? There's yeah. a document for that. Okay. And that is part of estate planning. Okay. Yeah. So, so let me just... There's a couple of sets of documents that we, that we typically look at doing, because certainly... There's different ways to pass assets. Right. A lot of people do estate planning without a lawyer. They just do it themselves. Sure. And they do it by how they own their accounts. They do them joint owners with rights of survivorship. They do them with beneficiary designations. Right. So you're, you're using you're using some terms. I think yep. prob- probably people don't. Yep, that's fine. Let's what, was talk that, about what was that first one? 
uh, typically when you have a bank account that okay. two people own, yeah. the default for most banks is JTWROS, joint tenants mm-hmm. with rights of survivorship. Okay. And that means when one of us dies, it automatically goes to the survivor. Okay. So you die, your wife walks to the bank with a death certificate and says, put that account in my name. They say, okay. And if that's the case, it doesn't matter what your will says, Mm -hmm. that account, you entered into a contract with the bank and that trumps what your will says. Really? Yes. So anytime you have beneficiary designations Uh where you've listed who gets it with a, a form at a bank or if you've got life insurance, you've got a beneficiary designation form. Mm -hmm. Or if you've got an IRA, there's a beneficiary designation form. Anytime you fill one of those out, that trumps what the will says. And that's a big misconception out there, or or at least a big point of confusion for people. They don't know which one. The will says one thing, this says another, which one wins? Yeah, but hey, I updated my my will. But I didn't go back and update. You know, you see it, uh, people have a, life insurance policy, name their spouse, they get divorced. Mm. Maybe the state law where you are says, okay, well, if it's an ex, we're going to treat that ex if they died first. Right. That's how we do it in Texas. Not all states are there. So you could accidentally have something because you never took the time to go back and fix that asset. You're giving your ex something. Sure. And people don't intend that. And there's probably good reasons for that being in place. Yeah, yeah, probably so. Um, um, historically, yeah, you know they they said, look, the the, the will's not going to govern it, and that was your last thing that you said you wanted to happen. Sure. So we're going to honor it. Yeah. Well, now Texas Texas's specific rule says, look, if you named an ex and you get divorced, the only way the ex gets that life insurance if you come back after the divorce and list list that ex again. Mm-hmm. as the beneficiary. Because sometimes in a divorce decree, it's required. Oh, wow. You might have, if you've got a minor child, typically child support's going to stop after you die. Sure. So if it's a young child, sometimes they'll put in the divorce decree, hey, get you know, get a $100,000 life insurance policy and make it payable to your ex yeah. so that if you die, she's got a replacement for child support. Yeah, I'm, I'm even thinking from like my own perspective, if, you know, not that I think it would ever happen, but if I were to get divorced, I would actually want my life insurance policy to go to my wife because I mean, like she's going to be the one taking care of my children yep. from, and so I want that money to go to her. Or, you know, I, mean, I'm, I imagine there's other ways of setting it up when you right. go into a trust or different right. things like that. But like at the end of the day, I want that money available to my kids and their yep. care when, and she's going to be the one doing it. So she's the one that's got them. So. And it's not like I'm limited to one life insurance policy either. Right. Right. So, but yeah, you're, you're right. You said there's other ways to do it. And sure, I mean, there's a multitude of ways. Right. Yeah. So so the self-help mm-hmm. estate plan, basically you go in and, and you organize all your assets so that by contract or by law, they're going to pass at your death and you don't have to worry about a will. I, I don't know that I'd say that's what the majority of people do, but I've heard statistics that only about 50% of people have wills. Yeah. So certainly there's a lot of people that, either aren't planning or are planning the self-help route. And maybe they're not planning all their assets with the self-help, but certainly joint bank accounts and brokerage accounts where you name a transfer on death beneficiary or a pay on death beneficiary. Mm -hmm. So you're listing people that'll get the assets at your death. Yeah. IRAs, 401ks, all those kinds of assets. Yeah. But from what you're telling me though, is 
you know, even if I have a will, if I haven't done my due diligence with my other accounts and I haven't, you know, signed my designated, you know, beneficiary to where I want it to go based on what my will now says, it doesn't matter. That's a great point. Well, when you're looking for an estate planning attorney, Uh you want to find somebody that's going to make your plan comprehensive. Mm -hmm. We literally ask clients after our meeting and after they hire us, we give them a homework sheet. Mm. And one of the homework sheets, one of the items is get us blank beneficiary forms so that we can fill them out and they match your plan. Mm. If your attorney hadn't done that for you and hasn't looked at what your beneficiaries are, right? then yeah, how do you know that the will's even going to do what you want it to sure. do? Sure. You're just churning wills to, you know. Yeah. So, so that's, that's a key thing to look for if you're out there looking for an estate planning attorney. Yeah. Make sure that they're looking out for your entire plan. And diligence is that's what right. we're talking about here. That's right. Yeah. So what, what are some other things that in, involve estate planning? Yeah. So, so there's the self-help. Um, of course, I don't advocate that. Sure. You know, I think most people need a will because <laughs> there's going to be some assets you forget about. And frankly, in most states, your biggest asset or one of your largest assets is your home. Right. And not all states have an ability with a deed to automatically transfer that to your spouse at death mm-hmm. or to your kids if both of you die. Right. So at a minimum, a will is going to cover that. Right. One of your biggest assets. So now I say that Texas, and I know several other states, have deeds. And Texas's is called a transfer on death deed. Mm-hmm. I think Colorado has one called a beneficiary deed. Right. And what those allow you to do is say, okay, here we own it, husband and wife. If one of us dies, the survivor gets it. If the survivor dies, these people get it. And so it's it's a nice probate avoidance sure. vehicle. But the problem is with the Texas law, it's it's brand new. We, this is a brand new. Texas passed it, uh, not this legislative session, but I think last. Okay. And what they added into the statute was, however, the home is going to be subject to the debts of the estate. So mm. now, give you an example. Husband dies. Mm-hmm. Wife has the house. It's a big house. It's a big expense. She wants to downsize. So she goes to list the house for sale. They get a contract. Title company comes in and says, ah, hadn't been two years. That house is still subject to debts of the estate. We don't know if there's still debts or not. We're not going to issue a title policy because some creditor may come out of the woodwork and claim an interest in the house. Mm. And so all of a sudden she can't sell the house. When you when you talk about an interest in the house, are you talking about like a lien or a mechanical lien or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so if yeah, so if 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 a creditor came in and said, There's a hospital bill and the estate has to pay it. Mm-hmm. Well then then here's this house. So you're saying it could it could be something as simple as a, a credit card. It could. Okay. It could. Yeah. Now I gave an example of a surviving spouse. Let me correct that. A surviving spouse, that's going to be their homestead. Sure. And homesteads in Texas are not available for creditors' claim. Gotcha. So let me do that a second death <laughs> okay. example. Yeah. So so what so second spouse dies and gives it to the kids. Right. And the kids want to sell it. That's our example. Where the title company says, look, it's not your homestead. And so so this creditor may have a claim against the house to where if you sell it, they get money to Satisfy the creditor to yeah. pay their debt. So we're not going to let you sell it to this guy who, who's offered to buy it because 
if we give you the money, then they may come back after us, the title company, for mm. allowing you to sell it. Yeah. And so we're not going to, you know, title company's not going to take liability. <laughs> they're no dummies. They're, they're in business to make money, not sure. lose money. So it's a problematic statute, and I haven't seen a bunch of people yeah. using them. Uh, I have done some. With the caveat, every time I've kind of warned my clients, hey, you know, this may affect yeah. the future sale of this house for a couple of years after a death. Are you okay with that? Yeah. And so if they go in with their eyes open and, and know that's the risk, then okay, I'm fine with it. Yeah. But, you know, just you got to make sure they know. So, in the, and this may just be the, the weird, sinister way that my brain works. But if, if that house was gifted to the kids, could they then make it their homestead? They could, but it's not their homestead as of the date of death. Ah, so it so all to, matters on that magic moment. They'd have to know beforehand that death was coming. And they would have to move in, yeah. file the paperwork, and actually be living there and it be their homestead. Gotcha. So you'd, you'd have to be deceptive in order. Right. <laughs> and, and you'd have to do, put the deed in their name. Yeah. Right. So they'd have to be a partial owner. Mm. And then now, now we've got the step up in basis that I mentioned earlier, right? <laughs> they, they know what they're doing. They yeah, do. They're going to they get do. their money. So, so I'm typically going to recommend that we do some kind of plan, a will or a trust or something that's the document that sets out the roadmap of what happens to the assets at death. Sure. So that that's, you know, I think most lawyers are probably going to advocate that. Most yeah. of us are not going to advocate self-help. How do you get a will? Well, you can go to... Legal Zoom, if I can give them sure. advertisement. Yeah. Um, you can go on the internet. There's other services that provide that. Yeah, absolutely. They're probably good. The problem with those services is, and I've reviewed a bunch of them, mm-hmm. is filling them out. Yeah. We mentioned earlier, I don't have all the detail. I don't list every single asset. Usually in a will, I may have a few specific bequest. And that that's just a fancy term for, I give this asset to this person. Right. Grandma's wedding ring, I give to Sally. My grandfather's Rolex watch, I give to, you know, my son, George, or whatever. Yeah. So I'm naming things and giving them to specific people. Every will should then at the end say, and everything else, the rest residue and remainder. We call it, we call it the residue clause. Yeah. I give everything else X. I give it to my wife. I give it to my kids to be divided in equal shares. Whatever. Yeah. But it's a. It's like an. It's like an algebraic equation. Sure. It's X. Everything uh-huh. else. Right. Yeah. I have reviewed wills that either people have handwritten themselves or they've done it on one of those internet deals, and either there's not a residue clause mm-hmm. or it it doesn't properly dispose of all the assets. So at the end of the day, when you read through their will. Not all, not everything's taken care of. Yeah. You've got what we call an intestacy. An intestacy just means there's no will for that asset. Okay. And if that's the purpose, well, why'd you, you know, why'd you do the will? Yeah. If you're going to leave holes in it, it's, it's as if you didn't have a will at all. The other problem with those things is, is execution of a will. And that's a fancy word for signing the will. Yeah. Is a very specific process in every state. And there's certain things you have to do in a written will to make it a valid written will under your state laws. For example, in Texas, you have to have two witnesses and a notary. Okay. And, well, let me back up. You only need two witnesses. But there's another step to take those witnesses' testimony so that they don't have to later show up at court. 
Right. 40 years later when you die. Yeah. And it's called a self-proving affidavit. And that's where the notary comes in. Gotcha. So, so it's really a second step. You're just swearing them in and taking their testimony. And it's all then on the one document. Preventing inconvenience later on. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. Can't find them. Got to do a different way to prove it up, whatever. So really a signature to witnesses is a valid will in Texas. Now other states I can't speak to, but, but it's not the best way to do it. Sure. And so certainly I've reviewed internet wills and maybe they signed, they didn't have any witnesses, but they got it notarized. Mm. Well, that's not a valid will in Texas. So it's as if they had nothing. Mm. Uh, I saw where they had one witness and, and that's it. So they signed and had one witness and that was all. Again, I had to tell them, I'm sorry, that's not a will. Yeah. So, so what, what would, what would, I mean, is that something that just immediately sends the estate into probate? That's a great question. Whether you have a will or not, you've got to have that probate process. Sure. In Texas, if it's a will, we call it a probate. If there's no will, we call it an administration. I'm sure other states have different terminology. Okay. So it's kind of specific. If there's an executor appointed, that means there was a will. If there's an administrator appointed, that means there wasn't. So yeah. there's different little legal names for these various processes. I had to learn executress. Executrix. That's the female <laughs> Executrix, firm. yeah. Sorry. That's the female yes. firm. Yeah. <laughs> form of the word. Yeah. <laughs> and and there's some courts that are very specific about using that and some that don't want you to use it at all. They want it all in just the generic executor. They yeah. Don't, they don't care. My wife's been named a couple of times. And so I was like, what is this? Yep. <laughs> yep. It's very common. And so, so... And it and it's actually I don't know if I can even say it in an administrator and an administratrix. Ah, okay. So it's even it's even that way for that term. Wow. But but you have basically a probate regardless. Okay. So so that doesn't throw it into probate. You already needed a probate. Gotcha. It throws it into a different kind of probate. Ah. So if you have a will, it's usually an easy probate. Gotcha. Because you've named who your beneficiaries are. The will tells the executor what to do. You just need to get it blessed by the court and then go through whatever your state process is for administering the estate. Mm -hmm. Without a will, now you got a whole different problem. You got to prove up who the heirs are and you got to look to state law Mm -hmm. to see who's going to inherit. Right. So that's where not having a will makes your probate costs go through the roof because there's all kinds of extra stuff that happens. In Texas, we have an extra attorney that gets appointed by the court to protect the unknown heirs, and they've got to do research and figure out who the heirs are, how many kids there were, if there was a spouse, if there's kids from another marriage, all these things. They don't work for free. No. And guess who gets to pay? The estate. Before anybody else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, they get paid at the first hearing. They expect a check. At the hearing, which, you know, they've done their work. They're done. Fair enough. Yeah. And so, so with that process, you've already added another hearing and another layer of work. So of course your probate's going to be more expensive than had you had a simple will done right. Yeah. And so, I mean, you're talking about that, that guy's not brought on unless there's not a clear will or trust. That guy's brought on when there's an intestacy. Gotcha. When there's assets passing without a will. So does does the do the survivors then have any choice, or does the court just handle that? Court has a list. Uh-huh. Court appoints them. Some courts have gotten in trouble. They <laughs> put their friends on the list and make sure they feed. So there's been some judges <laughs> that, that have would in never trouble. happen, Alan. Come but, on, but you know, not here, not here, not down here, <laughs> not in Harris County. 
Uh, this not is, this Montgomery. <laughs> but yeah, there's a court list. And of course, you know, you got to apply to be on the list and take certain courses and show yeah. that you're a knowledgeable lawyer who deserves to be on that list. Mm. So yeah, there's a vetting process. So I, I, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about the, the person who thinks, you know, I don't need one. Mm-hmm. I can just write a note and say, this is who I want to get this. This is who I want to get that and sign it. And that, that be it. I have probated a four by six index card really as a, as a will. Now it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't self-proved. It didn't have the notary and all that in, in most States, a handwritten will is valid. Okay. And so as long as it's all in your handwriting, yeah, it can be written and signed by you. Now, there's probably going to be holes. Sure. They may not know to appoint an executor. In Texas, they may not know to ask for independent administration, right. which gets you into the fast probate process, the uh-huh. cheaper, the cheaper, faster, less court involved. Uh, they may not know to say executor shall serve without a bond. Right. They may not know all those little things to say, but if they, you know, they generally get where their property's going and they appoint an executor. Yeah, that can be a couple of sentences if if done right. Yeah. And all of a sudden, yeah, you can you can do that. Well, so so it may not be the easiest and cheapest probate. Yeah. But it's better than having no will at all. Yeah. And I, I want to ask it this way because I think I think it'll be a good lead in as to like why it's good to have a relationship with someone like you. Um, but like say you have a will. Okay. But then later on you're like, well, I didn't you know, say say you know that the time is coming. You know, your, your days are numbered okay. and you decide to make an addendum to that in handwritten form. Yes. Is, is what I write in my own hand going to hold up against the contrary in my will? Legally, yes. Okay. It's just subject to challenge, right? Somebody may argue you weren't, you didn't have the requisite mental capacity. Sure. Maybe you got cancer, you're on pain pills. They argue, well, the, the the drugs were affecting his mind. Right. Or or maybe your daughter moved in and she's kind of- Took advantage. Undue influence. Sure. And so she's exerting control and your handwritten one says she gets everything. Right. So the other kids sue and say, come on, that's clear what happened. She moved in and she exerted control on dad, made him change it. Right. So, so certainly it's a little higher scrutiny. It's circumstantial almost. Right. Yeah, okay. But it's absolutely a valid document. In fact- one of the techniques we use when we draft our wills, we we typically will have a provision in the will that says, I give my household goods and personal effects. Okay. So, and then we give a little laundry list of what all that is. Okay. Furniture, furnishings, jewelry, clothing, whatever. You know, it's your, your personal effects, your stuff. Right. And and we say, I give that to my spouse if my spouse survives me. If my spouse fails to survive me, I give that stuff to my kids. Right. However, I reserve the right to leave a letter to my executor, which may distribute some or all of those assets. So we tell the client, if you have specific things you want to give to specific people, get you a piece of paper and a pen, write it out. Mm-hmm. I give my Rolex watch to, I give my, whatever, yeah. my Yadro statues, my Hummels, whatever. <laughs> give them name who it is, sign it and date it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a codicil to a will, and it's I've I've probated those before. Wow. So yeah, not a problem at all. We we encourage it because we don't want that. We don't want to nickel and dime them. Yeah. And, and come back to us. Oh, I changed my mind on my knickknacks, and I want to give this to my nephew. Yeah. You don't need me to do that. Just do it yourself. Yeah. And and so and you can you can probably amend that 
as many times as they want. Tear yeah. it up, write a new one. Absolutely. And is that something that they would have to give to you? You know, we typically tell them we're happy if you want to give us a copy because that way if somebody decides to make it disappear, right, then we can ask about it. But the key is to put it with your will because a lot of attorneys in the past, and maybe some still are, but I don't think it's the normal practice now, would keep for as a, as a service to the client, we'll keep your will for you. Right. Keep it safe. Now, I think what they found is, is over time you get fireproof file cabinets full of wills. If you've got an active will practice. You were actually mentioning this to me before. I mean, like you you have a huge storage problem. It's a storage problem. And and people move to another state. They don't bother to tell you, but you got to keep that will forever. Yeah. Because just because they died, it's still valid if it's their last will and testament. Yeah. And it's still good. So we can't throw it away. So it's one of those things you got to keep forever. Yeah. So and it's so, not like you're getting any residual income off of that either, right? <laughs> well, that used to that used to be the thought. I think it was a marketing thing. If we sure. keep the will, they'll come back to us for the probate. Right. So I think that's one of the reasons attorneys used to do it. But they found with their professional malpractice carriers saying, "Look, don't keep original documents because if you lose it, they're going to sue you. Yeah, you lost it. So." The better practice is give the originals back to the client, let them keep it. And so I tell them, if you do that letter, put it in your put it in your packet with your will so that whoever your executor finds your will, they find your letter. Yeah. That's what I tell folks. Awesome. Well, and I, I don't want to get the, miss the opportunity to to ask you the difference here, but like, and I think we mentioned it a couple of times, but like the difference between a will and a trust. Perfect question. Yeah. What's, what's that? Absolutely. So. And so is there a difference between living yeah, that, that's great too. Okay. Living will, living trust. Right. You've heard all those terms. So really in, in in most states, there's two ways to, or two kind of platforms, so to speak, to pass your assets. Okay. One is well, with legal documents. So <laughs> certainly there's the self-help method where there's not really a will at all. But assuming you go to an attorney and you actually have a plan, yeah, you can either have a will platform and the will contains all the provisions that say, here's what happens when I die. Tells the executor, here's what you do. Whether it creates trust at your death for mm-hmm. your beneficiaries. A lot of people, if you if you have a taxable estate, we haven't even talked about that yet. If you have a taxable estate, there's planning that you do and trusts that are involved that are created at first death when the first spouse dies and at second death when the second spouse dies. Gotcha. And, and those trusts can be created in the will. So, so the will has a trust built in. The other platform is to go ahead and make a what we call a living trust. And that's a trust document that we create today, and it can actually own assets. So if you had a vacation home in Florida, mm-hmm. I would tell you, you probably need a living trust because I don't want you to have to probate in Florida and in Texas. Gotcha. Let's get that Florida property in your trust so we've eliminated the Florida probate. Uh, now, people that live like in California, they have the cost of probate are very expensive. Right. So if you've heard Susie Orman on <laughs> CNN, she's always telling people everybody needs a living trust. Well, that's because they're in California. Everybody right. in California needs a living trust because the executor and the, and the attorneys can charge fees based on a percentage of the estate. So- that, that cost can get expensive the more expensive your estate is. Well, and and with property the, values in with, California. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so that's going to drive it up. Yeah. So so everybody there, well, not everybody, a lot of people, especially homeowners, have living trust in California. And what that does is 
if the property's in the trust and you die, the trust says, here's what you do with those assets. Right. So you don't need probate. You don't need a probate judge to tell you the trust is a contractual agreement that tells you, tells the trustee what to do. Gotcha. Where a will is only valid if you probate it. So a probate judge has to bless it, Mm -hmm. has to basically bless the executor as being appointed and say, yes, you qualify as executor. Now go do what you need to do. Right. So a, so a will is kind of a probate process where a trust is kind of a private process. So, now, the unfortunate term you've heard yeah. is living will. Right. It has nothing to do with property whatsoever. <laughs> okay. That has to do with health care. We'll talk about that oh, in a okay. minute. Okay. So and from what I hear you talking about, like a living trust, it, it, it sounds as if it allows the estate to almost act like a corporation on behalf of a person in the time of their death. That's a good way to think about it. it, Okay. It's a way to hold assets with technically is not a separate entity, but yeah, you can kind of think of it that way. Okay. It's a contractual agreement between a trustee and the beneficiaries and, and the grantor, the person who creates the trust. So there's three parties in a trust, a grantor, the person that creates it, a trustee, the person that manages it, and the beneficiary, the person who gets the beneficial interest of the assets in the trust. They get the yeah. income. They get the assets. Yeah. And I think, I think sometimes we hear the word trustee, mm-hmm. and, trustee. Like, and like, I think we tend to associate that with a like huge estates, people who are actually hired to manage these trusts. Yep. And so and you there's, can, there's big professional banks yes, that, you know, that have their trustees. trust. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And so you can, you can actually be paid as a trustee, absolutely. As a sort of like a beneficiary of the estate, is that how I'm understanding? Well, no, you're paid as trustee to manage the trust for the beneficiaries. Okay. So your job is to invest it, to make distributions, all that. So you, you're you're the CEO of a corporation. Yeah. I mean, if, to use your analogy. Sure. So so that's kind of the trustee's role. And so like he has that, a fiduciary duty to those beneficiaries. So you could have like zero like blood relation to any of these. You could be a professional Absolutely. trustee. Absolutely. To manage these things. Oh yeah. Big banks do it all the time. Okay. Every big bank has a well, yeah, I think every big bank has a trust department. Yeah. And they'll act for you. Um Is most that, of the brokerage companies have a trust division. Okay. Cause cause you know, they want to make sure that their customers are are served. Now when I have this discussion with clients, I tell them, look, do, do you want somebody like that watching over it? And you're, what you're really doing at that point is you're protecting the beneficiaries from themselves. Sure. Right. I've heard statistics and I apologize. I can't vouch for them, but <laughs> c- kind of common lingo in the business. I've heard that most inheritances are gone within two years. Mm. So, so I ask people, do you want to protect your beneficiary from themselves or do you want to allow them to be their own trustee? Yeah. And then they have free reign to invest the assets and spend the assets, but it's in a wrapper that we call a trust right. so that creditors or divorcing spouses can't get to it. Mm. So that's the benefit of it. Yeah. But, but if they're their own trustee, we're not prohibiting them from benefiting and taking money when they need it. Sure. Nope. The, the deal is, is nobody else can force them to. A judge can't order them. Take money out of there and pay your creditor. Yeah. Take money out of there and pay your well, spouse in this divorce. And, and this, this may be in the weeds a little bit too. I'm just curious though. But like, so say I'm a beneficiary mm-hmm. and I'm not happy with the way the trustee's managing the account. What do I do? Happens all the time. It depends on what the trust says. Okay. So I even talk to clients about that. If we have, do we have a provision? I usually have a removal power. Mm-hmm. Who can remove a trustee? Yeah. Can can they remove the bank? 
Sure. Or do you tell the beneficiary you got to suck it up and deal, deal with, with it? Them? Yeah. And because I trust this trustee and I, this is my money manager and I trust them and I want them to be involved because maybe they move the trust to another trust company. They might fire the money manager and hire their own. Yeah. And so some clients are like, no, I want it to stay at this brokerage house or, yeah. or this trust company because I trust them. That's they helped me build this wealth <laughs> and I and I want them to help my kids keep that wealth. Okay. And so we don't give the kids the ability to to hire and fire successor sure. trustees. Now I usually do have a provision in that case. If I give them the right to fire a trustee, they've got to hire another corporate trustee. Mm, they so, can't so get cousin that's Bill right. or their girlfriend a, yeah. or their boyfriend or whatever. Right. Yeah. So so if we've got it in a in a professional trustee, then we we tighten it up and make sure it's got to stay there. Okay. Well let's let's circle back around then to living will. So Perfect. What, yeah, what's that? So in addition to wills and trusts, so so those are the documents that pass the assets. Every client, I'm gonna advise that you have what I'll call my power of attorney package. Okay. I wanna take the wills and trusts generally take care of assets and pass them when you die. The power of attorneys take care of you when you can't take care of yourself, or they at least instruct what you want to happen if you can't take care of yourself. So for example, financial power of attorney, that's the first document. Right. If you can no longer manage your assets, you, you got Alzheimer's or, or dementia or whatever the case is, you, you can't write checks anymore, you can't deal with numbers, sure. whatever the case is. A financial power of attorney, you're telling the world who you want to be the person that has access to whatever whatever power you give them. Right. Banks, brokerage accounts, IRS. There's a there's a litany, a list of things that you can say, I give you these powers. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe it's the rest of your life, right? You get Alzheimer's and you live another 10 years. They may be taking care of you for 10 years, literally doing everything, paying your bills, signing tax returns, whatever, selling your house, anything financially you can think of, yeah. that power of attorney agent will be able to do. So mm. usually we list an agent and a couple of successors, a couple of backups, because you know this could be a 20-year process. Who yeah. knows? So we want to make sure we got it covered. So that's the financial power of attorney. The next document we do is a medical power of attorney. And the medical power of attorney says, if I can't make medical decisions, if I'm unconscious or incapacitated, whatever the case is, who's going to, who can tell the doctor, who can consent to a procedure, who can check me into rehab, who can move me to an assisted living, who's got the ability to govern my body, right. my health care. That's what a medical power of attorney does. And again, we, we try to get them to name two or three people. So we've got a succession plan in yeah. order in case something happens to somebody we've named. Yeah. Maybe that first person's already passed away or that happens a yeah. lot. People will name somebody their same generation or young people sometimes name their parents. Exactly. Right? Happens a lot. The next document that kind of goes hand in hand with the medical power of attorney is the HIPAA authorization. HIPAA stands for Health Insurance uh, Portability and Accountability Act. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a law that had nothing to do with what it was passed for because they came back later and tacked additional provisions to it. Basically it's a healthcare privacy law. And it says doctors can't share medical information without the patient's permission. Yeah. So every time you go to the doctor, you sign a HIPAA release so the doctor can share just enough of your information with the insurance company so they can get paid. 
Right. That's so you're used to seeing that. If you've been to the doctor, you've signed a HIPAA release. Yeah. Well, this HIPAA release is specifically for your medical power of attorney. Okay. You've said I've named these people. And doctor, I want you to talk to them when the time comes so that they can make informed decisions so that they can see my medical records. You can talk to them. You don't have to ask them to leave the room. You can talk to them and tell them all my options. Yeah. So that's what that is. The next document, other states call it the living will. Texas calls it the directive to physicians. Okay. I call it the pull the plug document Mm. because that's what it's all about. End of life decisions. You can make those decisions. That's right. Yeah. Do I want to be kept in a persistent vegetative state or do I want them to be able to pull the plug and take me off life support? That's really all a living will is. And and so that actually gives you can you can either make those directives yourself as as or you can give that decision to someone else. You know, that's a great point. Some states you actually name an agent on that form. Texas has separated the medical power of attorney. And the directive to physicians. Right. So the medical power of attorney, you've named an agent mm-hmm. to, to act for you. Yeah. The directive to physicians is exactly that. It's a directive. You're telling the doctors and your family in the future what you want to happen in a couple of scenarios. If you've been diagnosed with a terminal condition and given less than six months to live and you're on life support and the doctors have come to your family and said, there's no hope. Do you know what they wanted? Yeah, they initialed this and they said they wanted you to take them off life support. So that's when you show the form to the doctors and they're able to take them off. Uh, The second condition is an irreversible condition. So that's kind of the Terry Schiavo case. If you remember that Florida case, the girl that was in the coma for 15 years or something. Yeah. Husband wanted to pull the plug. Parents wanted to keep her alive. Jeb Bush, president's brother, got involved. I mean, it's just a mess. She didn't have one of these forms. Uh, But that's that situation. It's an irreversible condition. You're never going to get better from it. It's on the form. I think it defines it as all kinds of things from uh, a coma, brain dead, in stages of Alzheimer's. It's just a condition from which you're never expected to get better. Yeah. But it's not necessarily terminal, right? I mean, you're not going to die from it as long as you're on life support. Sure. You may live for years and years and years. Yeah. But do you want to live that way? Right. And this form lets you tell your family and the doctor's. No, I don't want to. Or yes, keep, maybe they'll, you know, maybe I'm Ted Williams. Keep me alive until they find a cure. Right. Yeah. And now, I'm, there is. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, like, it, it almost feels like sort of narcissistic to not have, have this in place. I mean, because do you want, do you want your, you know, your ultimate last few days to be brought together with fighting and, and potential conflict and, and that, all these, all the kinds of things, point. you know, or do you, or do you want it to be, you know, as peaceable as, as possible. Yeah. And it, it almost, I mean, like, you know, and I think most people have access to this knowledge and know that they should have something in place, but yet just always feel like they don't have either the financial wherewithal or the time uh, to, to get these things in place. I think the second thing there too is they don't want to face it. They don't yeah. want to talk about it. Yeah. Some people are like, man, that was, that was a depressing meeting. We talked about death and, I, I usually try to insert humor and, and, and make it as enjoyable as possible <laughs> when we're talking about it. I joke with clients and try to try to lighten the mood as much as I can because it does get very heavy. Yeah, it is, it's and, a heavy topic. And you mentioned the fighting and stuff. The other issue is is the guilt and the grief. I can't tell you how many clients have sat across the table from me. Their parents didn't have one mm-hmm. and they had to make that decision. They feel like I killed mom. Mm. I killed dad. 
where if mom or dad would have checked that box and said, this is what I want, you're carrying out their wish. Yeah. So it's, it's a great favor you're doing for your kids and your family, telling them, this is what I want to happen. Yeah. So that they know and, and that you're kind of taking the burden off of them and letting them feel better about doing one of the worst things they ever have to do. Yeah. Disconnecting dad from life support or whatever the case is. You're giving them the okay. This is what I wanted. You're just doing what I asked as opposed to you're having to make that decision. Yeah. So that's a good segue into, into something I wanted to ask you anyway, which you've already answered a piece of right there is like, what's sort of like, and not necessarily like doomsday, but like worst case scenario, I don't have this stuff in place. I mean, all the things that we've talked about, like what, what happens then? There are some really great doctors out there. Yeah. And, and I've dealt with them. I've talked to families that have dealt with them and they hadn't had these documents in place, but these, some of these guys and girls, ladies get it. And they've been, they've walked families down this road multiple times and they don't have an agenda and they don't care that those documents are there Yeah, and they, and they do what's right. And they let the family make the decision and they, and they go on. Now, the, the risk is you get somebody who a hospital's just been sued and the doctors have just sat through a presentation from the insurance carrier saying, we got to have this form. You can't let somebody die without it because you're going to get sued and the hospital's going to get sued. And they scare them to death. Yeah. And, and so they're sitting there looking very much to the family like they're the bad guy yeah because they're not letting them you came in here in mom or dad's yeah. <laughs> misery but it's really yeah it's the family's fault because they didn't take care of business but certainly they're mad at the doctor now certainly there's some true believers out there <laughs> you know some people that just hey you know that they're going to do what they want to do they know better but i think those are few and far between sure. i think i think by far doctors they're people too. Yeah. And they're going to help. I, I've not heard very many stories of, of families that have really fought the doctor and had crazy results, but I have heard them. So, sure. so it's not like it's not happening. Yeah. Hmm. Well, man, in, anything else that we haven't covered yet? Um, you know, we, we talked a lot about wills and trust and how, you know, making sure you have a plan. We didn't really talk about why you might want to leave your inheritance in trust. So okay. touch on that real quick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you've got minor children, one of the biggest mistakes I've seen yeah. is people on their beneficiary forms. And this is particularly people at work. You've got a 401k, you've got a company life insurance, maybe you've got an accidental death and dismemberment policy, yeah. whatever. You've got these benefits at work. And they hand you this form and they say, fill this out and give it back to HR. And it says, primary beneficiary, contingent beneficiary. What do 99% of people do? Put they write their kids. spouse <laughs> and their kids. Yeah. And if their kids are eight and six, do you think an insurance company or a 401k company is really going to cut a check to a six-year-old with a lot of zeros after it? <laughs> You've just created a nightmare yeah. for those kids. And the crazy thing is, is... Even if one spouse dies, we've seen this happen where where sometimes they'll uh, a parent will name a child to get an asset, 
I, I don't want to pretend to know the reasons, but you expect it's things like maybe they don't trust their spouse not to spend all the money. So they want to make sure it's in the child's name sure. to maybe protect it or something. So, so sometimes we see that at first death stuff somehow ends up in the kid's name, okay. a minor's name. A lot of people, a lot of parents assume, well, I'm that child's parent. So surely I have the right to access and spend that money. Mm-hmm. You don't. Oh, wow. Right. And that's most people's reaction. Oh, wow. I don't. No, I mean, based off what we, what we discussed either, earlier with like community property in Texas, I would, I would think that that might supersede that. that that's a great example. So, so back to backtrack just a second. Sure. Let, let's say, let's say you have community property in Texas uh-huh. and you're a blended family. Okay. So you've been married before. Maybe there's his kids, her kids, and our kids. Right. right? That doesn't have to be all three sets, but there's at least one set outside the marriage. If you don't have a will, Texas has a will for you. And every state's that way. I, yeah. It's like, that's a catchphrase I use when I'm out <laughs> doing networking and stuff. When, when I'm given my 30-second elevator pitch, that's yeah. how I usually end it. If you don't have a will, Texas has one for you. And it's probably not what you want. Yeah. Especially for blended families. And let me scare you with this one. Yeah. Husband has a child from a previous marriage. He dies. Wife and no will. Wife inherits her half, or she continues to own her half of the community property. Husband's half goes to all the kids, stepkids and wife's kids. Wow. So now she owns her house with a stepkid that she may or may not like, who's probably having a deal with the ex, the the other parent of that stepchild, who's now controlling that child's ownership in her house that she lives in. Yeah. Horrible situation. Jeez. Horrible result. It probably happens more all often. All the time. Yeah. Happens all the time. And like people are just shocked. They're, they're floored. How in the world? And that's true with a house. That's true with a business. I mean, imagine all of a sudden your business is, your, your wife dies and all of a sudden her kids and her ex-husband now own half of your business. Yeah. How in the world are you going to make that work? Well, and, and I, I think from the outside, some of us would look at that and go, well, that that doesn't seem right. But like, you know, this is the state trying to prevent a Cinderella situation. That's right. Yeah, that's right. They they came up with a rule that they thought was most fair. And I'm not going to question that. Sure. I just tell my clients, hey, that's the rule. Yeah. And most of them say, that's not the rule I want. <laughs> so let's do some documents and make sure it doesn't happen. Yeah. But we do probates all the time where... We weren't involved in the planning. They were referred after death and either there was no planning or there was poor planning and we're dealing with those kind of situations. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's, that's a good point too, is I, I think part of, you know, having a relationship with a firm like yours is understanding what's going to happen to my estate were I not to put these things together. Exactly. You know, exactly. because I'm not going to get that at legal zoom. Right. That's exactly right. And that's not to like besmirch them. It's, it's just not at it's all. It's not what they provide. Right. They're, they say it themselves in their advertisement and in their website. We're not lawyers. Right. They're not giving legal advice. Well, guess what? I am and I do. <laughs> yeah. not, not that this podcast can be presumed to be legal advice by right. me. That's yeah, my no. disclaimer. <laughs> Here we go. We got that in. <laughs> you need to contact me for a consultation. <laughs> yeah. None, none of this will hold up. That's right. Let me answer a question you ask and I... Took a big no, no, go ahead, cir- yeah. Circuitous track, and let me get back there. So, the biggest mistake I see people make is those beneficiary forms. Okay, they list spouse, they list their kids, minor kids, or whatever. 
So you say, well, what's the right answer? Well, the right answer is to have a will Mm -hmm. that has at a minimum what we call a minor's trust or a children's trust. Okay. That says if both of us die, the assets go to a trust for our children. And you name the trustee. It can be a friend. It can be a bank. It can be an uncle or an aunt, whoever. So it's this other person that you trust is going to manage this trust for until the child reaches a certain age, 18, 21, 25. You pick the age. I usually recommend 25 or 30. Let them get older. Let them yeah. be more mature. Let before their we brains develop. <laughs> exactly. But and so then on the on the form at, at work, yeah. you name spouse as the primary. And for the contingent, you say to the trust under my will. Mm. And that way it flows through the will. Yeah, it's got to go through probate, flows through the will, gets into that minor's trust. And now you can spend that money to raise your child. Right. They don't have to use other money to raise the child. Yeah. They get to actually use it for what it was used for. Okay. So if, so if I'm understanding you right, you can, you can build these contingencies into your will and estate to where if I were the only one to pass – it would act like a will. My my wife would continue to manage the assets of the estate, yep. just as if I just were, say just say she gets it all right. And but should the two of us unfortunately go in a car crash, then things move in a different direction into a trust under these conditions. Yeah, that, that's and that's things, one of the primary reasons you need a trust. Right, you've got minor kids. The second reason you need a trust for the kids mm-hmm. is you're giving them a lot of money. Right. Right. I don't know what that magic number is, but what I generally tell people is when someone gets an inheritance, they're going to spend some money. They're going to buy a house. They're going to pay off a house. They're going to buy a car. They're going to pay off a car. Right. They're going to pay off student loans. They're going to go to school, whatever, whatever they're going to do. There's something they've wanted to spend money on. Right. But they hadn't been able to. Yeah. Now they got a big pile of money. They're going to spend some. Yeah. Now, if they're inheriting enough that they're not going to spend it all. Mm -hmm. And so once they're done with that kind of initial spending spree, they've got some left over and it's a significant amount that they could invest and save for their retirement. That may make sense to leave that in a lifetime trust Mm. so that you've put it in a wrapper where no creditors can get to it. If they get divorced, it's like a prenup. A judge can't award it to the spouse. So you've protected that inheritance then for the rest of their life. So I don't know what that number is. Somebody comes in, they've got a million dollars, but they got 10 kids. Yeah. Well, each kid gets $100,000. Maybe that's not a good, maybe they don't need a trust. That's not yeah. a good example for a trust. But if they've got one child and that one child is going to get a million dollars, they probably ought to have a trust. Yeah. Now, somewhere between there is probably the line of who needs a trust and who doesn't. I just, it's different for every family. And I just talk to folks and let them make that call. Yeah. Well, and- and, and this this may be a little specific, but um, I, I would imagine. I mean, so, someone who's in a, in a situation like like mine, and I, I you know, and we have several people come on the homeowner show that are like me, that that end up owning multiple corporations, right? And those corporations end up having employees. Yep. You know, how do you? Because on in one hand, you want to protect. Your heirs. Yep. Right. But on the other hand, you, you have people that are responsible for people's lives. Yeah. That, right. That you're, are, you're, you're paying them a salary and yeah. they're counting on you. And you don't, you don't want, you know, your little son, Jimmy, who's a brat to come in and, and sell it out from underneath them and, and, yep. uh, you know, expose 
them to risk and, you know, unemployment and all these kinds of, how do you, how do you then do that? that that's a great question. And we deal with that a lot. Yeah. A lot of our clients are business owners. And so a lot of our estate planning includes what we call succession planning for mm-hmm. the business. Okay. And so we're going to look at the specific scenario and, you know, maybe the answer is we're going to give the key employees the option to buy the business right over a, over a payment term. Sure. We don't expect them to come up with cash. If they could afford to buy a business, they might have already bought one, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. So we don't expect them to do that. We're gonna we're gonna get your life insurance person involved, and we're probably gonna look at life insurance products. We don't sell it, but we sure know the how to use it and yeah. how to recommend it, and say this would be a good fit to help fund yeah. these different plans. This would be a good way to get some cash flow in the business because if you died, the business is gonna hurt until it kind of gets its feet under itself and figures out how to operate without you. Well, if you had a hundred or 200 or $500,000 of instant cash, right. that's going to help the business make that transition. Yeah. So a lot of times we're doing it for cash flow infusion. Um, sometimes we're going to figure out a succession plan. Maybe you got, you got some kids, maybe one child is in the business and one isn't right. Well, what do you do there? A lot of folks that own businesses, the business is the primary asset of their estate. Yeah. And they don't have a lot in a brokerage account or a cash account. The business is by far the biggest value. Yeah. Well, do you want to just say, okay, well, I leave the business equally to the kids and the one that's working, it feels like he's working for all the other kids because mm-hmm. it's, you know, he only owns a fourth and maybe they outvote him. Yeah. So we look at things like, you know, maybe we do a voting, non-voting reorganization of the corporate equity or the LLC, whatever kind of business it is, sure. and say, okay, 1% is voting, 99% is non-voting. If we divide it, say you got four kids, we're going to divide the business into fourths. The one that's working the business gets the 1% voting stock mm-hmm. and 24% non-voting stock. Everybody else gets 25% non-voting stock. Mm. So he's got control. He gotcha. can manage the business. He's not hindered by them interfering in a business they don't understand. They don't have a lot of power to vote him out or do anything. They're just along for the ride. Still benefiting from but it. But still benefiting yeah. from the business. Now, the problem with that is if he's greedy and decides, well, I'm going to just increase my salary and suck up all the profits and never make any distributions, <laughs> well, then they really didn't inherit much. Yeah. They inherited a p- nice piece of paper on their wall. Better get out quick. Yeah. So, so sometimes what we do is we say, you know what? You got a couple of kids. One's in the business. One's not. Give the one in the bi- the business the business, buy a life insurance policy for an equal value, and now you've got money to give to that kid yeah. out of death. So there's all kinds of things we do. It's just all usually very custom and looking at the business and how the key employees work and yeah. who might be a person that might want to buy it. So yeah, it's different for every client. And, and again, so we just look at those options. Having someone like you to even know that that's an option. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Man. This is like drinking from a fire hydrant. It is. It, and that's, <laughs> I use that example a lot. After, yeah. after a meeting, I start seeing the client's eyes get a little glazed over and I say, okay, planning tolerance is done for the day. Yeah. And I, I use that exact phrase. I say, it looks like you've been drinking from a fire hose. I know I've given you a lot of information. <laughs> you know, let, let's let it percolate. Yeah. And, and kind of pick one or two things that you know you need to do. And maybe we can do this in phases as it makes sense. You know, start with the basic building blocks. You need a will. And then we need to start working on, okay, how are we going to protect the assets? And okay, how are we going to make sure the business is set up? And, you know, we just kind of hit them as the client's comfortable with hitting them. Yeah. But but we address all the issues. Awesome. And, and if it's an area of the law we don't cover, 
we know people and we'll recommend somebody that can step in. For example, you know, you got employment law issues. We'll get a labor lawyer in on the team and have them help. If there's, you know, a divorce, we don't, we don't do family law. We're going to get a family law attorney involved. I I think, I think three of the most powerful words anyone can use in business is I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm not afraid to say it. Yeah. And if I don't know, I'll tell you, but, but I'll find out the answer. Or I'll find somebody that knows it. Right. Yeah, and, that's, and, that's and powerful. And I have no problem in saying that to people. And you're right. Ego gets in the way. Yeah. And some people can't do that. And I think they're doing a disservice to their clients. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I think I think one of the other questions that's probably lingering out, I can I can hear people asking is like, what what should I set aside in my budget in order to get this process started? That that is a fair question. Yeah. What what I tell people is, and uh, you know, like we want you to, you know, we we don't we don't want you to anybody to be holding you to any numbers yeah, that you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I think fair. I think everybody wants a general idea as to that's what they fair. should be looking at. That's fair. We, I let me start with the simple. If somebody just needs a. Uh, power of attorney package. Right. So for example, kiddos going off to college. Remember when they're 18, they're no longer your depend. They're no longer a minor. They may be your dependent for tax purposes, but make they're their adult. decisions. Yeah. And so you don't have any access to their bank. You don't have any access to their doctors. So a lot of times. Don't tell them that though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, they, but, but they quickly find out when they're at school and you call and you hit the brick wall. Yeah. So we do a lot of those those power of attorney packages for kids going to school for for which, us. which just real quick yeah blows my mind with the college scandals we've got going on right now you know yeah. the, like the, the admission stuff that we've got it's, going it's crazy how did they have access like that when these kids are 18 i mean like it's crazy it's stunning yeah, it's sorry. Stunning. Nope, no, I hear you. I hear you. It's it's I get a whole <laughs> diatribe on that. Sorry. No, so so to start out there, we charge uh 275 for a single person, 350 for a couple to get all those documents done. Awesome. So that's those five documents yeah. I mentioned. To start with a will, if we just do a simple will, we're, our firm, we're probably for a husband and wife, we're probably in the neighborhood of a thousand to eleven hundred dollars. Okay. So add those two things together, fourteen hundred in that range, uh, for for a simple will, right? To get, to get things going, um, we start throwing trust in. Uh, minors trust is a few hundred dollars more. Okay. Um, we didn't even talk about special needs trust. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. You know, if you got a child with with special needs and may qualify for government benefits, we want to make sure never ever ever give that child money in their own name. And even a regular trust doesn't work. We got to have a special trust and it's called a special needs trust. It can mm. be part of your will or it can be a standalone trust. Either way, if it's a part of your will, we typically add four to $500 to the cost of the plan yeah. to, to incorporate that, to add that. If it's a standalone trust, it may be closer to a couple of thousand dollars. Yeah. So, so a lot of people like the fact, hey, let me get that added to my will as part of the plan because that's a lot cheaper to do. Well, I mean, just, just real quick, because I know we have a lot of friends with, with special needs kids. I mean, with, without having that in place, do you run the risk of, of that child or, or dependent becoming a ward of the state? What typically happens is if you don't have a special needs trust, they're going to, and you die, either you have a simple will that just says, give my kids equally, which is what some people have, or right. or they just don't have a will at all. And so state law says, give to my kids equally. Right. They've just inherited whatever. If it's more than $2,000, you've just lost their government benefits. Oh my gosh. They, they, they no longer qualify for Medicaid 
and uh, SSI. Uh-huh. And so now, what's SSI? Sorry, uh, it's a Social Security okay, uh, disability thank you. Uh, benefits okay. that some can qualify for. And and there's an asset test and an income test. So the asset test says you can't have more than two thousand dollars. The income test says you can't make more than X a month. If you inherit two thousand dollars, boom, you lose your benefits. Good so they worked hard. They filled out all these applications. They got their child these benefits. Boom, they die. They lose them. And now they can't get them back until they spend all that money. They can't give it away. If you give it away, there's a five-year look back and a denial of benefits for the amount you gave away. So it's a it's a huge mistake if yeah. you don't do that planning wow. and, and very consequential for you. Because if you, if you have a special needs trust, you could inherit a million dollars in a special needs trust and still qualify for your benefits. Mm. So, I mean, it's just, those are great trusts. It's easy planning. You just got to talk to somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah. And there's, I mean, like there's lots of benefits that the state and the government can provide special needs. I mean, like Absolutely. even like specific care. I mean, Absolutely. Like, that, and that's, that would be insane that they could lose that. Yeah. Having a good, the, having a good social worker who can kind of walk you through that mind or that myriad of, of maze and minds and. Yeah is worth their weight in gold because they, they can help you find stuff that, that can help those kiddos like nobody else. Okay. Be- better than most special needs so, attorneys. But to, to, to put that onto a will or to a trust, that's usually an extra 450, yeah. something like that. Four or $500. Okay. Yeah. Is all. yeah. Yeah. To where if we did a, just a special needs trust, we're talking about four times that. Yeah. So, so it definitely makes sense if it works. The, the only time you set up one during life as a standalone one um, is an attorney who wants to make a lot of extra money. Or, <laughs> or maybe grandparents are wanting to gift while they're alive mm. and they don't want to give it to parents. They want to go ahead and put it in an earmarked place for the kiddo. Yeah. And so that makes sense that, that you're going to go ahead and set up that trust now and let it start receiving assets and letting it grow yeah. so that there's a fund by the time the child needs it. So they, they, they literally can't own any assets at all. Less than two thousand dollars. So, crazy. so I had somebody come in. His son was older. He was working. He, he got a job as a as a bagger or a sacker. Yeah. at the grocery store, right? And and making a little money. And he'd been socking it away in a savings account, thinking, "Hey, that's the good thing to do, right? Yeah. Teach my son how to save money." And uh, it's quite a bit. I mean, I think he had several thousand dollars he'd socked away. And I said, you know, do not apply for, for, he was thinking it was about time to apply for some benefits. I'm like, you can't apply with that much money. He yeah. won't qualify. And, and once you're denied, it's horrible because it, you're, you're penalized I mean, you're for, marked, for not yeah. qualifying. So I said, let's work this out. Let's figure out. You know, he can't just take that money and give it to you, but he can pay you rent. He can pay for groceries because he's an adult. You can charge him. If you're a child, you have a duty as a parent to pay for that stuff. But he's a child or or, I mean, he's an adult. You can charge him for that. So and even if you want to take that money and put it in a savings account that's in your name, but you know, it's earmarked for him. Fine. You can do that. Right. And just tell him point to and that's yours. It's just in my name. It's uh, legally it's mine. But in my will, I'm going to make sure that goes to your special needs trust. Hmm. And you could do that. That's nothing wrong with that. Um, but, you know, you just got to do that planning yeah. in advance and make sure that's covered. Um, if we do if we do trust, lifetime trust added into the wills, we're probably, you know, we're, we're approaching that $2,000 number. I, I, you know, I don't have exact numbers. We, sure. We've actually got a price list. I, I don't know that 
a lot of law firms have that. Mm. Um, but but basically, you know, if, if if you fall within this category and this is what we're recommending, you, this is what what the price is. Right. And so typically, what I tell folks, we get a lot of people that call. Hey, what's a will cost? Fair question. But I don't know. I don't know what you need. Right. So what we typically offer is a free initial consultation to come in, spend an hour, an hour and a half, you talking to us, us asking you questions. We got a little questionnaire we we send uh, send you. It's on our website too. Tells you things to bring to the initial meeting so that we can give you a couple of recommendations as to what is what kind of plan makes the most sense for you. Yeah. And then, hey, here's a flat fee cost. This is exactly what it's going to cost. It's not going to be hourly. You're not going to show up to the signing appointment and it's going to be $1,000 more than what we talked about. Yeah. It's a fixed fee price. You agree to it when you hire us. If you don't agree, then fine. You don't hire us, you walk away, fine. But if you like the price and you know think we're going to work well together and it sounds good to you, that's usually how we do things. Yeah. And when you were talking earlier about the will being around a thousand dollars, that doesn't include a living will. That's a, that's a separate. That was that's part of the three hundred fifty dollars. Okay, yeah. So the living will is the part of the finance, the power of attorney package. Okay. So that's three fifty for a couple, and then the will itself, the two wills for the husband and wife, that's the eleven hundred. I think is what. I apologize. I don't have that no, on no, top of okay. my head. I want to say it's around eleven hundred. But you're not paying eleven hundred as a couple. You're it's a piece. It's eleven hundred period. Period for the couple. Okay. Two wills, eleven hundred dollars. That's awesome. Yeah, we so, think so. Yeah. We think it's a fair value. Now, let me say this: uh, we, uh, before we started recording, I mentioned every lawyer who takes the Texas bar, and in fact, most state bars, mm-hmm. ha- there's a section on the bar exam for wills. Right. And so every lawyer has to learn all these things about what makes a valid will, and and because of that, every lawyer out there. Not every, but most lawyers out there <laughs> think, hey, I can draft a will. Yeah. And, and they maybe they've done their own and, and they have drafted wills. Now, and, and they're and and they may do sometimes we jokingly call some of them roofing lawyers. They'll do any <laughs> kind of project that comes in that keeps a roof over their head. Yeah. <laughs> right? They'll do a will, they'll do a divorce, they'll do some criminal. To, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a general practitioner. Sure. Nothing wrong with that. They probably would charge less for a will than our firm would charge. As I mentioned, we've got board certified estate planning and probate lawyers. Right. With that expertise, we probably are going to charge a little more. But we then we say the same <laughs> thing. We're not downtown. We're not charging what the downtown guys are right. charging who have the same expertise as us. Yes. So, you know, it's all relative. And, and it's really finding somebody you're comfortable with, finding somebody that knows what they're doing. I reviewed a special needs trust the other day that wasn't even a special needs trust. Mm. It purported to be. Yeah. And it quoted a section that uh, this will be a special needs trust under such and such section. That section wasn't a special needs trust section. Mm. So I'm like, look, if you sign this, I'm glad you came to me. I can help you fix it. But this will is not a special needs, does not have a special needs trust in it. Mm. It won't qualify. They'll lose their benefits. That would be terrible. And so, you know, I'm sure the guy intended to do well. I'm sure he thought he was doing good work. It just happens. If you if you don't deal in this area a lot, yeah, there's a lot of special stuff that you're just going to miss. I mean, that's why I don't do those other areas yeah. of law. I don't do patent law. I don't do uh, divorce work. I don't do criminal work. I don't do, you know, all those different things because you got to do it all the time to be good at it. Yeah. And I don't. 
so, you know, I know, I know I do what I do and I do it well. And, and I pass the other stuff along to lawyers who we, we've got relationships with other firms that we know do good work and we're happy to give their name to clients. Mm. And we don't take a commission or a fee or a, yeah. a cut or anything. We just, Hey, that's your client. You treat them well. We know you will. If we hear that, if we hear that you don't, we're probably going to replace you on the list with somebody else <laughs> that does treat their clients well. So that's the value we try to add. Man, that's, man, all of this has been such good information. I, I think you've even given us like a good filter. So you know, if, if I don't live in in Houston near your firm, like I have some good information now to uh, to go out and and find a good a good person that can yeah. that can handle this stuff for me. Yeah, you want to look for some. If you know, if you're out of state, or you know, we we're probably not going to do wills out of state. A, a lawyer generally practices in the state they're licensed. Right. Certainly we've got clients all over the world with the oil companies here. Yeah. We'll do a will for them. Then they get shipped off to, you know, Australia or, or the Middle East or wherever. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I've had people sign wills in foreign embassies before that we've done and sent to them. Yeah. But they're still claiming Texas as their residency and their permanent domicile. I was going to say, so, so their, we their can states do that. are handled in Texas. Yeah. So we can still do that. They okay. generally don't buy property. In the Middle East, they rent. Yeah. So, so it's easy to say, "Hey, look, I mean, I'm a Texan. I still claim this as my domicile, is the term." But if they didn't, they could still, from if I see if I learned enough, <laughs> they could set up a trust. Yeah. That would force their estate to be settled in Texas. Trusts are much more portable than wills. That's a great point. We didn't talk about that, but yeah. yes, trusts are much more portable than wills. In fact, most trusts should have a provision in them that allows the trustee to change the jurisdiction of the trust. Mm. So if you got, if you decided I'm moving to California, you exercise that provision and say, this is a California trust and California law applies. You die and your kids are in different States. They can do that in their state. So it's, it's nice. Yeah. That's cool. So trusts are definitely much more portable. Awesome. But yeah, if you're in another state, if you're, you know, we, we can handle anything in Texas, but some people prefer their lawyer to be right there in their same town. Yeah. And I understand that they want to sit down in their office and talk to them. You, you want to look for somebody that the estate planning is a principal part of what they do. Yeah. You, you want to look on their website and see what are the kind of thing, oops, sorry, what are the kind of things that they say that they do? If there's a big laundry list of things that they do, then they probably don't specialize in estate planning. Yeah. But, it, but if you kind of, in looking at the things they list, they're all generally related to estate planning. That's probably a good fit. In Texas, you can look for somebody who's board certified in estate planning and probate. Now I'll tell you, I have friends that aren't, yeah. that are good lawyers and, and do good estate planning work. Yeah. Uh, I am board certified. So of course I'm going to say <laughs> it, it's, it's a good thing to have. And, yeah. and, and generally you've got somebody that, that has a high percentage of their practice in that area and they do a lot of it and they were, you know, they were competent enough to pass that exam. Um, in other States, you know, they may have similar kind of board certifications there um, for people who who are looking for specific issues. Like if they've got an elderly parent, mm-hmm. there's a certification called elder law. You may want to look on an elder law website and look for a local attorney that, that's got that specialty. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what you're looking for is just somebody that does a lot of that kind of work and not. Not to say that a general practitioner, you could probably get a goodwill there too. But frankly, if you've got a complicated estate plan, a lot of those guys are going to refer you out to somebody. Yeah. They, they know 
they shouldn't be doing a complex trust with all kinds of tax provisions and all kinds of crazy stuff. I get a lot of referrals from other attorneys that mm. just simply, hey, this one, I'll do the simple wills all day long, but this one is over my head. You do it. Yeah. So beyond so their scope, it, it, if yeah. you've got a good, honest person that knows their limitations, they're going to tell you, yeah. hey, you know, I'm not the guy for you. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like telling people, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's better for everybody it in is. the end if you, if you know what you can do and you cannot do. Yep. Man, you, you've given us a lot of information. So if, and I know, I know you're going to be happy for people to reach out to you. If, if people have additional questions, where can they get a hold of you? Yeah, there's, there's a couple of ways to, to reach out to us. Um, you can go on our website. Mm-hmm. And that's at uh, www.jr, like junior, jrbeck, B-E-C-K, law.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. So all one word, jrbecklaw.com. And there's places on there where you can click and, and type a question and submit it. We've got questionnaires on there that you could look at, give you some ideas about, hey, these are the kind of things you need to be thinking about. Yeah. As you're doing an estate plan. I think you even said it had like a, a list of things that you probably need to have together before you even come yep. in. It's got a list of yeah. things to bring to the meeting. Uh, so that's always good to kind of look at that kind of stuff. You can give us a, you can give us a call at 281-440-4777. Mm-hmm. You can shoot an email. Uh, we've got a general, general mailbox for yeah. those kind of things. Info at jrbecklaw.com. If you want to shoot it to me directly, <laughs> Alan, Alan.stroud, A-L-A-N dot S-T-R-O-U-D at jrbecklaw.com. Okay. And so there's lots of ways to reach out and get us. And we're happy to, to, to entertain those questions. And like I said, we'll offer a free consultation if you want to come in and talk about your plan and get some recommendations. Awesome. We're happy to do that. And we'll link all that up in the show notes. Appreciate that. Yeah. And so, uh, you know... I think I think we need to move on to uh, our now famous part of the program called the Final Four, and that's usually got a little bit more bluster to it. But Kevin's not here to bring that gusto. <laughs> but we're we're gonna ask the questions anyway, and I'm gonna show them that I can remember them. So the very first question of the Final Four: uh, What's the one tool you won't leave the house without? So we we qualify this by saying. You know, your friend Joe calls you. He said, hey, got an emergency situation at the house. I need you to get over here real quick and help me. What's that tool you're going to make sure is in the, in the back seat on your way over to Joe's house? Man, that's a, that's a good question. I think, and this is any kind of emergency, not necessarily relating to what I do for a living. Correct. But yeah. Anything relating to I mean, the it, house. It could, be, it could be the dishwasher. It could be a door fell off the hinges. It could be anything. You don't know what it is, but Joe called you and there's something wrong at the house. Let, let, me, let me tell you, I, I, my, my previous answer would have been something different. Uh-huh. Uh, last year, the, the drain from my sunroof uh-huh. on my car got clogged and it caused the water to back up in a downpour and fill up my floorboard inside my car. Oh my gosh. And I was just beside myself. I, I called the car dealership and they gave me a quote of around five grand to fix the problem. They said they were going to have to pull all the head... Uh, yeah, the headliner down and they were going to have to pull the dashboard out. It was labor intensive. And I'm like, oh, I can't pay that much for that. That seems ridiculous. <laughs> and I talked to somebody, uh-huh. mutual friend of ours, okay. Rick Schisler, uh-huh. and he said, YouTube. <laughs> he said, get on the internet, uh-huh. 
you can find something on there that will show you how to fix that yourself. Uh-huh. And I, I pulled out my phone <laughs> and I got on there and I found a video on exactly what to do. And it took me, I, I had to go around and buy a couple of tools that I didn't have a, yeah. re- a really long set of complex pliers yeah. that would go through the vent to the, <laughs> to the firewall, through yeah. the dash to the firewall. So it was a long, long complex with lots yeah. of joints, pliers that would allow me to pull, pull this thing out. And, and so it took me maybe an hour to go around buying the things I needed to buy. And then once I started working and taking the, the things apart that I needed to take apart, took me about an hour of labor and I fixed it myself. <laughs> so I would say my computer or specifically if I'm leaving the house, yeah, your phone, my phone, so whatever's going to be access to YouTube. Cause I, cause I can go buy the tools that I need <laughs> once I know how to fix the problem. There you go. I like it. All right. So question number two, what is a job that you walked away from? Now, some people use this as an opportunity to talk about a, a career job that they walked away from, but it could also be a, a project in the house, uh, whether it be, you know, I was, I tried to re-roof the house and that didn't go. I tried to resurface the pool and that just didn't go so well. So I had to call such and such. So what's a, what's a job you walked away from? Well, I, I already shared that I, I switched from being a CPA to go to law school. So, yeah. So, so yes, I did walk away from that. Yeah. Uh, but, but probably the, probably the job that I walked away from is I had a, I had a leak in, uh, in one of the bathrooms mm-hmm. with a, with a pipe, with a pipe, a water leak. And I'm, I'm pretty much not afraid to tackle <laughs> just about anything. Yeah. Electricity, uh, any of those things, but water scared me. Yeah. And so I got my dad. Okay. Cause he's, he's more adventurous than I am. <laughs> and we got into it and we just could not get it sealed to where it wouldn't leak. Mm. So we had to walk away and call the plumber <laughs> and the plumber came out and he said, your only problem was, is your, your torch wasn't hot enough. Because mm. we just bought one of those little deals at, at like a butane, uh, yeah, at Home Depot huh. or something, and he said it just wasn't hot enough, long enough, and you just you didn't buy a professional one. You bought you bought a cheap one. You, you flame wasn't hot enough, huh. and so so that was probably the, the I just had to. Uh, water scares me. You know, you can't have a leak in the wall. Oh that no, just, that's you can't, the worst. You got to fix it right. That'll destroy so, everything. So that was the one I walked away from <laughs> and said, I just can't do it myself. I tried and, and didn't get it done. That's one worth walking away from, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number three, how do you wind down at the end of a long day? Wow. That's a good one. Um, different ways, probably. Um, sometimes it's just coming home and relaxing and watching something mindless on TV. Yeah. Uh, if I'm just exhausted, uh, sometimes I enjoy reading. Mm-hmm. Re- reading is kind of a good way to divert the mind. Yeah. Get it focused on something else. You run to, you run to fiction, nonfiction. What do you, what do you do? You know, I, I probably read more fiction than, than, than nonfiction. Yeah. Occasionally I'll read the nonfiction. Uh, but, but more often than not, I, I like, you know, kind of 
kind of enjoy the entertainment aspect yeah. of it. As so it's more of an escape. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. Now, sometimes the learning aspect of the nonfiction leadership books and, and management books and that yeah. kind of stuff, whatnot, that's good too. <laughs> I enjoy that. But that's that doesn't help me wind down. Yeah. Because usually I'm focusing on that. It kind of revs your brain yeah, up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Kind of kind of wires you back up. So, so for the wind down, uh, usually one of those two things are, you know, sometimes just playing on the computer or playing on the phone, just doing goofy stuff, yeah. wasting time, sure, connecting with people, talking with people. Awesome. All right. So number four, my, my personal favorite question, what is the best piece of wisdom or advice someone's ever given you? Probably I would have to, to go back to a young age and just, just, I assume it was my mom or my dad that probably first said it. I've heard it from a lot of different people, though. Just the old golden rule. Do Mm. unto people as you'd have them do unto you. Yeah. I found that in business, that's the best way to treat people. Uh, If things, if you've got a situation where somebody's unhappy with something, treat them the way you want to be treated. If you you were in that situation, and, and, and I'm always more than fair and and people appreciate that. Yeah. People see it as genuine. They appreciate the way you do business. Uh, in fact, it was funny. I, I spoke at a group earlier today, and, and I mentioned the same thing we talked about. You know, I said if I don't know if I don't know the answer, or if it's the kind of law that I don't practice, I refer it to uh, to somebody else that does. I mm-hmm. find a lawyer that does that kind of law. And and the guy who was talking to me smiled and said. But you get, but you get a fee. You 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 get a fee split with them, right? And I said, actually, we don't. I said, we do not. We do not take a piece of the action. We give that work away, and and you deal with other attorneys that way. They're going to remember that. Yeah. If they have an estate planning issue. They may send it my way, and it's just one of those do unto others as you do unto yourself. And it it really does. It, it's things come back. Yep. And, and, and it works out. Absolutely. Well, Alan, this has been awesome. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. I enjoy talking about this stuff. You can probably tell. (laughs) I enjoy learning about it. This has been really, really good. We we didn't get a a lot into the probate side. So if you ever want to do another one of these, I think we definitely need to probate. I'd be happy to come back. Well, yeah, we need, we, we need to get together again for two reasons. One, we need to get in that. We also need to like give Kevin the what for, for not being here. There you go. So he he needs to get his comeuppance for being absent. (laughs) So, well, listen everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the homeowner show today. Again, if you have not, uh, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. If you have questions uh, about any of this, you can always reach us at info at homeownershow.com. And until then, we'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new episode for you guys. See ya.